Does it build more trust with your partner if you wait to have sex until you get married? Well, I never waited. So, I mean, if you really click with somebody, I mean, most women in the West here, by second or third date, they're going to sleep with you. So if there's there's a connection and you click, it's it's going to be on right away. I mean, I've done both where it's like we hook up the first night and we may date a couple years. And I've also done it where I've made the girl wait for a, f- a few weeks or a month or so before doing the deed in either way if you're applying what's in the book they still end up at the same destination so it's really up to you and how you feel about it but i know there's a lot of people that watch me that are super religious they're like no sex until marriage you know we can kiss no fornication no fornication Corey. we don't do any of that i was like hey if you want to do that great but if you're because I've seen where there's problems you have a value conflict with a if you're an ultra religious dude and then you're trying to date a girl that's like you know slept with 50 guys and you know you want to date her for two or three years with no sex it's like she's gonna probably most women I don't think are gonna be down for that unless they're super into you and you're super amazing but you know different strokes for different folks it's you know, it's, I say, hang out, have fun, hook up. And, you know, for the religious guys, the hookup part is, happens on your wedding night. It's up to you. Obviously, a lot of my clients are Muslim, too, so. And a lot of them are like, ah, no sex till marriage. No hanky-panky. Have, have you always thought about that? Like, um, like, thought that it was, like, okay? Or when you were younger, did you ever have that thought? Because, like, a lot of women, like, when you're young, you're like, oh, I'm going to wait till I get married to the, find the perfect person to take my flower but, like, did you ever, like, want think of that in your head as you were, like, a young man? Well, I mean, I went to a Catholic high school, and, you know, my parent, my mother really was the one that had us going to church and stuff like that. And I, I learned early on that it's, like, even the Catholic school girls, it's, like, they were the, they were the biggest whores out of all of them. And even because it's like typically people often that get sexually repressed or just kind of freaks behind the scenes. And I mean, I see a lot of these, the the guys on the Internet, especially the red pill guys, they get up, upset about women and sleeping around. And it's like, I don't know. It's like in, in the uh, when I was growing up, 70s and the 80s, it's the pill was there. It's typically you should practice safe sex. Most of the time, honestly, people didn't and all relationships came from casual hooking up and it's i mean some girls slept with way more dudes and some girls were might date you know two or three guys in between boyfriends and they might be with the boyfriends three or four or five years or whatever and then by mid-20s late 30s they're they're all married and so they may have easily slept with 20 dudes over the course of you know, from the time they would lose their virginity, typically 15, 16 years old, their first boyfriend in high school or whatever. So thinking that, because, like, the way they talk is it's something new that women are sleeping around, and they've always been sleeping around. I mean, if you look back to the 60s and the, the fact that, or even the 30s and the 40s, it's just like when the pill came along, it made it really easy to have sex without worrying about getting pregnant. Because that was a big thing before that is how do you avoid a pregnancy other than with a condom? And sometimes condoms break or they have little holes in them and you slip them past the goalie. It's, you know, my old business partner who's, you know, passed away about five years ago. His his wife, 
Um, she got, you know, she was sleeping with her high school boyfriend. I think she was 16 and she got knocked up. And so this was in the, I think the late sixties, early 1970s. And it was, her parents were religious. So they sent her away to like a convent to basically have the child. Uh, so nobody would see, you know, she wouldn't go to high school with a big, you know, belly cause she was pregnant or whatever. It's like, they just, back then they would like send you away. She had the child and then gave it up for adoption. And, you know, in later years, she reconnected and uh, still in contact with him. Because to her, it was her son. She felt horrible about giving him up, and she wanted to keep him. But her parents were like, no, you're giving the baby up. You're a child yourself. You shouldn't be raising a kid. And um, so a, a nice couple that, you know, couldn't have kids adopted him. So, like, these things aren't new. Women have sex. I mean, it's just easy for, for women to have sex, especially when they're pretty. They're just constant <laughs> dudes throwing their dicks at them. It's, it's kind of like an all-you-can-eat buffet. The ladies have the choice, especially when they're younger because they get approached. The prettier they are and the more social they are, they're just they're always out. I mean, you know, I'm not telling you girls anything you don't know. I mean, you're young and beautiful, so it's... You get bombarded constantly, and like I said, the guys that make the biggest deal out of it and cry about it and complain about modern women are the dudes that aren't getting any pussy. And so it's like I see all this hyperventilation in the red pill community. It's like, I mean, really, character is destiny. There's, I mean, when we were in high school, there were girls that were sleeping around with a lot of dudes and came from messed up families, and they were hot and everything, but everybody knew that you're that's a girl you hook up with you're not gonna marry her or you know run off and live happily ever after it's like there's some girls that are out there and they're kinky and you know they're great for hooking up and one night stands and stuff like that and there's other women that are more family oriented and are are more you know are more suitable for long-term dating and I, i see a lot of the guys in that red pill community just don't you could tell a lot of them have gotten burned. They got burned. You know, oh, it's single moms are all the problem. And it's like, no, you suck at judging people's character. And then you get involved with somebody thinking you're going to be a white knight and change her. And she doesn't change. And then when she burns you the same way she burned everybody else before that, you're like, ah, oh, it's all modern women suck. It's, you know, you got to be smart. You got to try before you buy. Don't be in such a rush to put a ring on the finger and, Especially, you know, the dudes that live in blue states where the laws are just like, you have no leverage. It's the the state just basically takes their arm and shoves it right up your um, poop chute and basically takes control of the man and animates him and just whatever the woman wants. It's it's, it's basically legally what, what they do. So it's like, you know, I say it's, what worked well in in business because it kind of a marriage is like a business is that what is the divorce always over it's arguing about money and assets and who's gonna you know raise the kids or get time and custody and stuff like that and it's just especially some of the states that you have like then they're the blue states it's the laws are so one-sided and it's not worth it. it you'd just be better to get married civilly and have a business agreement for any property that you buy together or businesses that you start together. When you go into business together with business partners, typically smart people, smart entrepreneurs, have what's called 
a partnership agreement. And in the partnership agreement, say you have three business partners like I used to, is that each partner has a set amount of duties that they have to bring to the partnership in order for the, the partnership and the business ultimately, what you're building together, to flourish. And if one person falls down or doesn't do it, then because the smart, prudent thing to do is, that, okay, well, what if you get incapacitated or what if you we do this for 10 years and make a lot of money and you decide, I want to you know, move to the island somewhere and shave my head and my ass and my legs and meditate all day or sun my balls or <laughs> sun my butthole or whatever. <laughs> you want to do something weird? It's like, hey, whatever. But also what happens if you fall down and say, you know, because personalities conflict, what if you just can't work together? How do you dissolve? How do you, how does each person walk away? And you figure all these things out ahead of time, kind of like in a way that a prenuptial is, but it's a partnership agreement. You know, if you have children, what happens if you decide not to stay together? Who, what are your values? Who's going to do what? You can spell everything out and then not go through divorce courts and all that nasty stuff because statistically you're looking at 50, 60% chance that the marriage is not going to last the rest of your life and you're going to be getting divorced or your partnership is going to dissolve. And so from that perspective, if you love one another, you should be able to work that out ahead of time. And if you can't work something out like that, then just imagine getting married to that person because a lot of guys do that because, like, the woman, you know, they're going to involve a state and she doesn't want to sign a prenup. And then the guy caves and he later just gets crushed financially in divorce court. So have a business agreement ahead of time and don't involve the state in a marriage. And you can wear your rings and have your ceremony and involve, you know, you can have your religious ceremonies, but it just doesn't have the weight of the state behind that kind of a, a legal document because. It's too much downside risk. And so if you look at it from like a business perspective of how the assets and the money and the income is going to be divvied up if it doesn't work out and who's going to take care of the kids. If you want her to be a stay-at-home mom and say it doesn't work out for whatever reason, then ideally you'd want her to still be a stay-at-home mom, at least while the kids are young. And at some point the kids get old enough, they go to school and stuff. Then, you know, the mom goes back to work. And the goal should be to rate to raise great humans whether you stay together or not shouldn't matter the goal is to make sure your sons and daughters turn out to be great human beings that when you're old and your tits are you know banging your knees or your balls are dragging out of the crown and you're a guy you can say my son's doing amazing or i'm so proud of my daughter or daughters <clears throat> or, or whatever and have human beings and make the world a better place that should be the goal whether you stay together or not and when you marriage from a legal perspective and the repercussions is just way more downside risk than it's worth. And men need to understand that when you're dealing with a woman in divorce, even if you're amicable, if she's hurt, especially if you file or she files for whatever reason, she's not happy. It's like they get, if there's money on the table that can be had, her, Divorce attorney and your divorce attorney are like, they want to keep the meter running. And it's just, from a, a legal perspective, it's just too much downside risk to get involved that way. So it'd be much easier if, when you guys have nothing together, 
to figure out, okay, if we get together and I build a business or I make this money or I have this retirement or you build a, a career and you make this retirement, how do we split all that up? How do we disengage those kinds of things? And so with your personal retirement and stuff like that, ideally, if you think about it, if you're raising humans, you want your kids, whether your sons or daughters, you want them to be self-reliant. You know, if you and your significant other get hit by a bus, ideally, you would want your child to be able to go out and get a job and pay rent and cook and clean and be able to interact with the world in a way that they can get by. It'd be a tragic loss that you're gone, but in a way that they can get by without you. And so the same thing should apply when it comes to your significant other. You, you've got to plan for every and all eventuality. Like in, in the business partnership, you have what's called key man insurance. And what key man insurance is, is what, what happens if one of the business partners, say you got three business partners and you know, each one of them has a policy. What if one of them gets hit by a bus or kidnapped by aliens or they die or whatever, or they you know, get physically incapacitated where they can't work? That's a, you know, that, that partner's contribution may be essential. And so that is a huge financial impact to the company if the, one of the, the partners or say you got three partners and two of them die in a plane crash or something like that or a car accident and it's just you. And your other two partners did things that you couldn't do. It's like that's, they have insurance policies that, that pay that out. So you can get life insurance policies for something like, you know, stuff like that. And so it's just, it's much better and cleaner to do that and do like a civil type of, and obviously you got to follow whatever laws and, you know, apply in your state or your country, but to do something civilly where, where you, you treat it like a business. Cause in essence, what it is, are you going to have a trust? Cause in a, in a trust, if you have significant assets, it's just what the wealthy people do is the family trust or the, whatever kind of trust they form owns all the assets. That means Every person that benefits from the, the money or the finances or whatever works for the trust as an employee. And so the, they get a company car, they get a house to live. And so that's why when rich people get sued, it's like, you know, they're, they, they're taking a meager salary. And so all the stuff that they have, they don't own it. The trust, trust owns it. And, you know, that's the way you protect your assets. That's why the, the elite and the ultra wealthy just, you know, they pass this big mass on to future generations. And so from a legal perspective as well, your wife, you know, if you become rich and successful and she's raising your kids, wouldn't you want her to be able to do well also so she can continue to be a great mother? Because again, the goal is to make sure the kids are awesome. And like I said, you, you get the state involved and then, you know, the state takes the custody and take, you got money, you got child support, and then you're kind of at the mercy of the court. And they're going to make a deal that's typically very unfair for the guy, especially in the, in the blue states. So it's that kind of, uh, you know, to me, it's not worth it. And it's not necessary. Why buy the cow and you can get the milk for free? Wouldn't that be part of your vetting process is to find somebody that you, you're not planning to get divorced to? Yeah, but the last thing anybody is thinking on the day they're getting married is that it's going to end in divorce. And... So you have a 50 to 60% chance that it's not going to work out. And so if you're in a blue state, there's a 50% chance you're going to lose everything. And you can be married one year. It's like, I mean, it's amazing. A guy can build a company of $100 million and then be married for a year or two, not even have any kids. And he's given tens of millions of dollars <laughs> to somebody that was not even there when, when you did all that stuff. And it's like, 
that's a you know it's a nice emotional ideal that you're gonna ride off into the sunset together and live and die in your deathbed seconds apart like some Disney movie, but in real life it's it's not like that. So plan accordingly. Know your always know your downside risk. I learned that in my early twenties. This guy was a multimillionaire. He was very successful flipping foreclosure properties and taking old apartment buildings down, especially South Beach in the early 90s when that whole area got revitalized and took off. And I learned a lot from him. One of the first things he taught me was he says, always know your downside risk. And it always stuck with me. And, you know, especially after going through a divorce, after being only married for a year, and it was unpleasant. It took several years to get out of it legally. And it's just, I had a business partnership, and when we our business partnership dissolved, it's like, yeah, there was bad feelings, you know, on all sides towards each other. But it was so easy to split things up, and so you know, it was easy for us to split up and, and all go do our own thing. And it was to one of my my partner Paul's credit, the way we had structured the company also was really great. Um, myself, my other partner were not, you know, we wanted to just throw everything in and he convinced us that it was just, you know, you got paid based on what you brought in your performance. And for our type of business, you know, especially commission based loans, real estate and, you know, properties we flipped and stuff like that, that was, that was smart on his part. And, you know, cause he had had other business partnerships that did not end very amicably. And so we had agreed to everything up front and, you know, a deal was a deal. And so it made it easy when we had to dissolve, dissolve that deal. It was much easier to get out of my business partnership after a decade in business and tens of millions of dollars at stake than it was to get married and then later divorced after only a year of marriage. You know, we had a house to dispose of. There was the court system. And, and, and the new boyfriend that she had was started interfering because he was jealous and insecure that she was going to try to come back or I was going to try to come back and... So he kind of threw gasoline in the fire and to keep the conflict going. And, um, and I eventually had to, inv- you know, reach out to her father and tell him what was the shenanigans that the, att- her attorney was pulling because he was trying to use up all the retainer. And so this is just making up bullshit and sending letters to my attorney and, you know, charging a couple hundred dollars to write a letter to, to the money that she had given a retainer. And then, of course, my attorney's going to respond, and he's going to charge me a couple hundred dollars to write back. And it's like going back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, everything goes to the mail. And so it's it's several days. And then just the thing, gets, it's like month after month, just letters, letters back and forth. You know, a couple thousand dollars here. It's like we had everything agreed to up front. And then this guy, you know, between the boyfriend and her attorney trying to, prevent from having to refund any of her giant retainers she gave him, then um, it would have been so much easier if we had all that nice partnership agreement. So that's the best way to go. And like I said, it's, uh, that was a great lesson that my, my former business partner, that he had learned in other failed partnerships that he had were, that were nasty when things split up, that it made things really great. It's a smart way to do it. <laughs>